Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's up, y'all? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Can you hear it in my voice? I'm excited. So some of y'all probably just got a notification that said, all right, let's talk about it. New episode and you're a little confused thinking I don't subscribe to a podcast with that name. You kind of do, but when you subscribed, the podcast was called Sellout. Hi, it's Savvy. It's me. So what happened to Sellout? Well, I talked about it in the previous episode, which might not be on the pod, any podcast platform anymore, but it is on YouTube, my YouTube channel, which I'll put all the links in the description so you can get all of that jazz. Um, just to long story short, I didn't know what I wanted to do with Sellout. I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to talk about or touch on every single week. Um, uh, one of my followers on Instagram asked if I'd ever consider doing a movie channel, just a separate channel. And I said, yeah, because I do movie reviews every time I go to the movies, which is every week, pretty much. Um, I said, yeah, I've thought about it, but... I have a whole bunch of stuff I can't even keep up with. And then about a day or so later, a light bulb went off. Like, hey, I have a podcast that I'm doing absolutely nothing with. I'm paying for the hosting. I'm paying for the website to record it on. And I love going to the movies. I literally go every week. I could talk about film, filmmaking, the process, the industry every single day of my life. Why not just why not just put the stupid college degree to use and do this thing? So that's what we're doing. So what is this? What is this going to look like? Every week, every Friday at noon, you're going to get a new episode. And more than likely, it's going to be a film review because I go to the movies pretty much every week. And I usually go on Thursdays because most films nowadays pre-release on Thursdays and I'm impatient. You're also going to get some commentary on what's happening in the film industry. So this month, especially the next three months, because it's award season. So the Golden Globes are actually on Tuesday the 10th. The SAG, the Screen Actor Guild Award nominations come out the next day. In February, we get the Oscar nominations. And then in March is the Oscars, the show. And I can't remember the date for the SAG Awards. I actually have it written down in a calendar, I believe, but I do know what's on a Sunday. 
So you're going to get recaps. You might get live reactions on YouTube for nominations, um, different things that are happening in the industry that I have opinions about, like the big conversation right now about Nepo babies, which I think is ridiculous. I might talk about that. We might go there. But what is this episode going to be? This very first episode of the revamped podcast. I'm recapping 2022. I saw a lot of movies in 2022 and I did a lot of reviews. So I thought it would be fun. I actually had this idea before I even decided to revamp the podcast. I thought about doing kind of maybe a YouTube video, but I really don't have the patience for editing a YouTube video, if I'm being completely honest. And I really don't have the equipment for it um, or the software or the skill or the know-how, if I'm being completely honest. So after I came up with the idea of revamping the podcast to center around my love for film, filmmaking, film process, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, first episode, let's do a recap of everything I saw in 2022. So that's what we're doing. If you've been following me for a while, you've probably seen most of my reviews. There's also a chance you haven't because TikTok, for whatever reason, doesn't like to push my content to the For You page, much less my followers. So anything longer than like 90 seconds doesn't get pushed. And it's really annoying because I know people actually enjoy those so film 2022 let's talk about it Before we get into the nitty gritty fun stuff what I thought of 2022 my favorites least favorites and all that jazz let's get a couple of things out of the way are we going to talk about all of the movies that I saw this year new no. that that it's it's a lot of movies we who has time for that so if you're interested in hearing every my thoughts on individual movies that I saw I did reviews on every movie I saw this year except for four uh you can go to my TikTok I have a playlist that says film reviews they're all there so I would go and watch that. The videos are also on my Instagram, but Instagram as of right now doesn't have a way for you to create playlists. They used to for IGTV, but just for reels, they don't have a way for you to create playlists. So there's no way to kind of sort through everything. So I recommend going to my TikTok. Some of my more recent films, um, if you're scrolling through my Instagram, you'll see the movie poster. But that's about it. But TikTok is where to go if you want to hear my thoughts on individual films. Because we are not going to go through every single film that I saw this year. In total, I saw 44 films. 38 of those films I saw in theaters. Six of those films I saw on some kind of streaming platform. As far as which month was the big winner, I guess you could say it's a tie between November and December. I saw nine films in theaters. In November, I saw 10 new films in December, but four of those were on some kind of streaming platform. And I think all four of them I saw last week. Yeah, wait, yeah, four of the, yep, that was last week. <laughs> um, various other platforms. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of movies. And most of those movies I saw after August 25th, I think for about two months, I realized, hey, I've been to the movies every single week. And I decided to kind of make a game out of it to see how long I could keep going, going to a movie every week. And I, I did it up until the week leading up to Halloween. I went out of town for a wedding, like I said. So, yeah, 44 films total. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the bottom 15 and the top 15. Now, how did I come up with the bottom 10? Well, not bottom 15, bottom 10 
top 15. So how did I come up with that? I didn't just like give it an arbitrary score and say, you know, I thought that was an eight out of 10. No, I decided to um, play a game with myself, I guess you could say. So I took some of your Oscar categories and scored each film based on those categories. So direction, acting, writing, cinematography, production design, film editing, costume design, I gave them a score. I, each category got out of 10. I also added pacing, plot, character development. Those are three categories that are just personally important to me. They don't mean anything to anyone else, but it's just something I look for or notice right off the bat whenever I'm watching a movie. So and each category scored it out of 10 and then came up with a final average. So at the end of the year, once I decided, you know, once I finished grading everything, um, I sorted the movies based on their numbers. And that's how I found my bottom 10 and my top 15. And I was very shocked. What I can tell you, just kind of looking at the numbers, the final scores for these films is a lot of the movies I saw were pretty average. They were, most of the films I saw were somewhere between like a five and an eight, kind of average. Not too many of the films I saw were bad. I'd say I can count on one hand how many films were just bad, just not good. Like, why did they even try? And I had a good amount of films this year that were just really, really good, more than average. And I think that's because I made a point to try to see as many Oscar bait films as possible. So I have a lot of films that are going to be on that list. But before we get into those actual numbers, oh, I'm a little nervous because I know some people are going to hear that bottom 10. They're going to get a little angry. First and foremost, let's get this out the way. Two movies that I did not see that people are going to be expecting to hear. I did not see Everything Everywhere All at Once. When it first came out, it just didn't seem like something I would be interested in, so I didn't see it. It wasn't until it started getting nominated for stuff about a month or so ago that I was like, oh, I guess this really was, you know, a good film. So I have three options. I can either purchase Showtime and start paying for Showtime or just pay for it for that month and watch it there. I can wait for another streaming network that I'm already paying for to pick it up. Or if it gets nominated for Best Picture, which it probably will based on what I'm noticing, AMC usually does a Best Picture showcase every year. I might do that. But it, it, it's looking like I'm going to have to just get Showtime and suck it up. Another one I didn't see was Avatar. I had my ticket to see it the week it came out, but I got sick. I did see a movie that week, though. But Avatar, I actually got sick. I started to get sick like the day before I was supposed to go see it. And I was really, really upset because I'd already, you know, mentally prepared myself for three hours of animation. So when you're hearing this, these lists and you're like, well, what about that? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head that I just didn't see. There are a couple of films that have a limited release, especially the ones that got a limited release in December that I probably won't see until either this month or the next. Women Talking is one that I can think of uh, with Rooney, Mara, Francis McDormand, uh, The Sun with Hugh Jackman. I know it's supposed to wide release, I believe, this month. Um, a Man Called Otto 
with Tom Hanks. I don't think that's getting any kind of buzz, but it did come out, I think, the week of Christmas. And that release is wide. I think it's already here, but I have a ticket for it next week. So if you're like wondering, why isn't this movie on the list? Either it just didn't do it for me. I just didn't, I wasn't impressed with something or I didn't see it. So that's where that is. <sighs> I'm excited and also a little nervous. I, I'm really going to make some of y'all mad, but it, it'll be all right. You'll be okay. We'll live. Get some ice cream afterwards. And let's just get to it. This quick disclaimer, I feel like this is kind of self-explanatory, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. This is all 100% my opinion. We're getting ready to start the bottom 10. If you hear a title in here and you're like, oh my God, but I love that movie. You can still love that movie. This is not me saying you can't love this movie or that this movie is not allowed to mean something to you. This is simply the worst films of the year, according to the 44 that I saw based on my opinion. Artist subjective. What meant something to you may not mean something to somebody else. And that is okay. That is perfectly okay. Okay. All right. (sighs) The bottom 10, according to Savvy, let's talk about it. Starting with, no, actually, this one I will argue to the death with you about. This was the worst film of the year. I don't care what anybody says. This was absolutely terrible. Probably the worst film I've seen since Pootie Tang. And that's pretty low. They slash them, directed by John Logan, starring Kevin Bacon, Carrie Preston, Anna Chlumsky, and Theo Germain. This was a LGBTQIA plus slasher film that premiered on peacock terrible yes i just blew in your face and in your ear terrible this movie was so bad there's absolutely no way that you can watch this movie and think oh my god that was so good i enjoyed that no on what planet this was so bad all around in every aspect this was bad The final score, the average for me came out to be a 1.8. I mean, it failed everywhere. Acting was so bad. I mean, the problem with the acting is that you had a bunch of characters basically playing themselves. So this was a slasher film set at a conversion camp. And it was just, I I can't stop saying it. It was just so bad. And, you know, you had a, I don't understand how you can have a slasher film set at a camp and none of the campers die. Spoiler alert, none of the campers die. The only people who die are the people we don't like. So your killer is basically an anti-hero. No, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of anti-hero slasher films. Candyman was like that. Halloween was kind of like that. I'm tired, okay? There's There's no courage in the slasher genre right now. Damn you, Wes Craven, for dying. Like, no one else can do it right, it seems. But yeah, and everyone we like, everyone we're supposed to like, I should say, because the character development in this was extremely like lacking. Here's the secret to horror films. The secret to horror films is character development. You create characters that your audience will bond with and attach to so that when things happen to them, you care. So even if the main characters had died in this film, I wouldn't have cared. It wouldn't have mattered to me. None of them were compelling enough for me to want them to live they were so boring and so dry this movie was just empty of any kind of personality because the entire focus was representation the director 
who also wrote the film, was so focused on making sure that you knew who was trans, who was non-binary, who was gay, who was bi, so on and so forth, that he completely neglected the story and the characters themselves. I mean, even the acting was so simplistic because nobody was really acting. People were just playing themselves. Your trans non-binary person was trans non-binary in real life. You're black trans woman was a real life black trans woman. I mean, no sense of imagination. No one transformed for this. They just showed up in their own clothes and he said action. And what really irritated me was the writer slash director, John Logan. He's not new. It's not like he just graduated from film school and decided to come you know, produce a movie for Peacock. No, he is an Oscar nominated screenwriter. So this is someone who knows how to craft a story. He knows how to build characters. How did you fail, sir? He failed. He absolutely failed. And that's all I'm going to say about that movie. I'm done talking about it. The next worst film, it got a score of 2.7 from me, Morbius. This movie upset me on so many levels because I felt like there was so much potential for this film to be great. It had all the right pieces. It had everything it needed, but there was too much. There were too many pieces for the puzzle. It moved way too fast. That was the movie's downfall right there was the pacing. The And the story was just, it moved too fast. So it was hard to keep up with the story, but everything was there. I mean, the casting was great. You had Jared Leto. Uh, Matt Smith, who is very popular right now because he's in the Game of Thrones spinoff, which I have not watched, so don't ask me about it. Adria Arjona and Tyrese Gibson. I mean, I've only been in love with Tyrese Gibson since I was like 11 years old, so he can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, the story is not bad. The story itself, if you take out the actual writing, but the story itself is not bad. The special effects I thought were really, really beautiful. I, I enjoyed the special effects. But it, it there was too many pieces. They they tried to jam pack way too much into the story. I, I felt like they could have just given us a little bit and maybe given us room for a cliffhanger or a sequel. There was some stuff that could have been taken out that just wasn't necessary. Th- there was too much going on. So the pacing is where this thing really just fell apart for me. And it it was the pacing was just so bad it ruined everything. I mean that's talent in and of itself. The next film, so we're down to. The third worst film of the year. So we'll say bottom 10. So, oh, goodness. The next one is going to be Firestarter with a score of 3.0. It's failing was very similar to Morbius in that the pacing was just so bad. But the problem with Firestarter is it started great. Our beginning and our middle, I guess it was supposed to be our middle. Great. It, but it, it then we got to an ending and it kind of just ended. And then I realized we really didn't have a middle. It, it moved too. It it didn't even move too fast. It just it's almost like it's like I'm tired of moving. I don't want a movie anymore. I'm done. Can we just end this thing? That's what it felt like watching this. But in the same way, all the right pieces were there. There was so much potential for this to be great, but they just missed. And I don't understand how you miss. I mean, it's not like you had big shoes to fill or anything. Yeah, Firestarter is a lot of fun. The original film based on the Stephen King novel. It's something I used to watch all the time with my mom when I was younger. But I mean, it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the word. It's it's a good movie. It's fun to watch, but it's not a masterpiece. So, I mean, you have nowhere to go but up. I don't know where they was going, but it was not up. Bless their hearts. That one is directed by Keith Thomas. 
And no, yeah, Keith Thomas stars Zach Efron and Ryan Kira Armstrong. The fact that Zach Efron is old enough to play someone's dad weirds me out because he's only a couple months younger than me. Like, have we really reached that age? I guess so. So the movie following that one, Bros, 4.3 is what the average ended up being, directed by Nicholas Stroller. Nicholas Nicholas Stoller, I should say, not Stroller. Starring Billy Eichner, Luke McFarlane. So apparently Billy Eichner was somebody before this movie came out, but I'd actually never heard of him. Um, I don't know what he does. Something Billy on the Streets, I think it's something. I'm probably wrong. Um, he is he was insufferable. The problem with this film, he was the problem. He was the absolute problem. There was too much of his ego in the movie for it to move beyond him. This movie was a gay romantic comedy. I'm all for expanding whatever. Okay. It's just seeing, because the entire film industry, the entire film process is all about what if, what if we try this? What if we do that? So I'm all for that. However, the problem with this film was Billy Eichner. There was just too much of his ego for anyone else to show up. This film also, I thought, heavily relied on negative, regressive gay stereotypes. All the stigma that so many LGBT activists of old have tried to push away from, they just kind of brought it to the screen And not even in a caricature sort of way or making fun of it, but as some kind of truth that this is the gay community. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's quite right. That's kind of sad if it is. I remember at one point I asked when I was doing a review of this on TikTok, I asked like, is this supposed to be satire? Because I couldn't tell, are we making fun of the gay community or is this how the gay community or Billy Eichner sees the gay community? And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But where this movie fe- fell for me, I thought direction-wise, the director failed because he couldn't seem to reel Billy Eichner in. Acting-wise, Billy Eichner's just not a leading man. He's just not there. He's not compelling enough to be a lead. He's not likable enough to be a lead, especially when we're talking about a romantic comedy. Yeah, that's the writing. It was just wasn't a good movie, I thought. I, it has a very high rating on... Rotten Tomatoes, I don't get it. I I don't get it. I was very confused. I didn't think it was funny. I mean, being a heterosexual female, I didn't get anything out of the romance, clearly, but I gave it a pass on that one. I wasn't expecting to. But yeah, it, it just didn't do it for me. Not at all. Our next worst movie in our bottom 10, Halloween Ends. This movie just pissed me the hell off. Um... I expected more for David Gordon Green, who directed this film. He brings back Jamie Lee Curtis and Kyle Richards, Andy Matichek, Rowan Campbell, James Jude Courtney, Will Patton. This, okay, look at, I love Michael Myers. Okay, he's my favorite. I have seen every film in the franchise at least five times. I love Michael Myers. He is my favorite. So I was looking forward to this. I didn't I didn't expect it to be good. I didn't even care. At where I was at in my life, I really just did not care if it was good or not. I just wanted blood, guts, and carnage, and he couldn't even give me that. I mean, come on, sir. Come on. Why would you fail me like that? But I I wasn't expecting too much because I didn't think Halloween Kills, which was the predecessor, which came out in 2021, was that good. Now, the, the one that came out in 2018, that was golden. 
That was so good. That was excellent. I mean, it was beautifully done. Halloween Kills was just okay. Um, but Halloween Ends was just an absolute dumpster fire. It was just, it, I think if you're not a Michael Myers fan, you might enjoy that movie. But speaking for me, as someone who adores Michael Myers, it, it was it, it was annoying. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though, when it comes to these giant slasher icons is when we go to the movies, while it's cool to see Jamie Lee Curtis, it's cool to see Kyle Richards. We're not coming to see them. I'm not interested in seeing Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't care if she lives or dies at the end of the film. I came to see Michael Myers and he was absent until like the last 10 minutes. He made him weak. And I think that's where the miss was. This man forgot why people love Michael Myers. It's because he's strong. He's unbeatable. He's indestructible. Evil never dies. Now, David Gordon Green, apparently he's going to get another chance because I believe he's directing the Exorcist sequel that's coming out this year. Yeah, apparently it's not a reboot. It's not a remake, but it's a sequel. He's bringing back some old actors, old characters. So uh, mm -hmm. I'll give him one more chance, but he failed me and I'm, I'm, I'm still mad about that failure. Now, after Halloween ends, now this is where people are really going to get mad. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. I want to dance with somebody. The Whitney, H the Whitney Houston film that came out about two weeks ago, directed by Cassie Lemons, starring Naomi Aki, Tamara Tooney, Stanley Tucci, Nefessa Williams, Ashton Sanders, Clark Peters. So I talked about this one a little bit on my Instagram. But this movie, I thought... I was very confused on why it was so bad because Cassie Lemons, again, she's not new. She's a good director. But the problem with a lot of these biopics, especially when you have someone as recent as Whitney, because she passed in 2012. That's what, 10 years ago, give or take. Almost 11 years ago. Um, I think there's this expectation that when we go into the film, we already know her. The thing is, we don't. As much as much of as long as Whitney Houston had been around, we knew Whitney Houston's the celebrity. We didn't know Whitney Houston, the person. We we didn't know who she was. We just knew who we saw on TV. And I think she had a great opportunity to really dig into the character and the personality and the person of Whitney. And she just didn't do that. The movie was just very bloated. That was the word my brother used. Me and my family, we saw it on Christmas Day um, at a theater in... Pineville right outside of Charlotte and yeah it bloated there was just way too much in the same way with Morbius there was just way too much going on um, there was just too much stuffed into so little time that the story got neglected instead of focusing on one thing it seems like she wanted to kind of wrap the story around or kind of book in the story with the AMA performance from the mid 90s but there was it wasn't there it's the story was just very lacking. It was incredibly bloated. The pacing was off. The acting was good. I think that was a standout. The woman who played Whitney was wonderful. I love Stanley Tucci. I mean, we all love Tamara or Tamara Tooney because she's Dr. Warner from Law and Order SVU, Melinda Warner. And 
Yeah, it it was just too, it was bloated. The pacing was off. The thing that really upset me the most was the scene that I was looking forward to the most was the Star Spangled Banner scene, just to see how they portrayed that. And they kind of half-assed it. They didn't even give us the whole song. That was the, out of all the performances Whitney has done, that one has stood the test of time like no other. Her rendition of the Star Spangled Banner still brings tears to people's eyes across the globe. Not just Americans. If you go on YouTube, you can see people from different countries reacting to the song. Um, there's one in particular of a family from New Zealand reacting to that performance, the original live performance. And just the the chills and the tears. It's beautiful to see that our national anthem would move someone else from another country. I think that's really cool. And I just think they completely missed on the social impact that could have had. I think they missed on her death. Um, it was just understated and it was just weak. I don't know. I think she missed the character, the person of Whitney and the overall impact of Whitney. I think she just missed on that front. So yeah, it's unfortunate. The one, so our next worst film of the year, Nope by Jordan Peele. Starring Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya. If I'm not mistaken, this is mistaken. This is Daniel Kaluuya's second film with Jordan Peele because he was in Get Out. Okay, so very simple. My issue with this film is that I just I'm mm, the problem with this film is very simple. It was boring and dry up until I'd say maybe the last 30 minutes, maybe last 20. The beginning was just so boring and so dry. The characters, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya's characters, they play brother and sister. For the first two acts of the film, they're not people. They're just personalities that are existing with one another. There's no real character development they're just caricatures of people does that make sense you know you see a caricature artist you see a lot of them here in new orleans i live in new orleans by the way and um you see them all the time jackson square park where it's almost like they zero in on a specific personality trait and they expand that that's basically what they were until the last 30 minutes all of a sudden they're not just personalities they're people and they have a wholeness to them but by that time for me it was just too late also, this is something I've noticed with certain Jordan Peele films, any project where he's involved, because he's dead set on making sure that black people are the stars of his film and that white people don't have a starring role. They don't have a leading role. They have more of a supporting role yet. And I noticed this with Get Out because this is the only other film of his that I've seen Get Out and Nope, is that while white people are not starring in his films, they are the ones that drive the story. I mean, Daniel and Kiki's characters were just very, very boring and kind of dry and just lifeless. Yet everything, all the information we were getting about what was happening was coming from everyone else. So that was just irritating for me. Not so much because they're black, they're white or whatever. It's that you have these two leads with no life and all the life we're getting from the film is coming from your supporting cast. It just felt kind of lopsided. But yeah, the fact that the first couple acts the first two acts were just extremely boring and dry and then it didn't get exciting until the third act I thought that was very disappointing the next film after that 
I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. I think if you know me well at all, this doesn't shock you at all. But Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yeah, I thought it was just so boring. It was too long. There was not much of a plot. There wasn't much of a story. I think Namor was probably the best part of the film. I really wish they, I don't remember his sister's name. I couldn't remember anybody's name, but except Namor, probably because he's cute. I have no shame in saying that, but I felt like the sister and Namor, I felt like there was something that could have been, there was some uh, chemistry there. Maybe it's just me, but I felt like there was a chemistry there. There was something there. There was a bond. There was an electricity. And Ryan Coogler just did not capitalize on that. I felt like if he had just like tapped into that a little bit more, this could have been a little bit better for me. But I found the movie just to be very, very boring. I found the characters to be flat. There was just too much going on. They were trying to stuff too much at once. But this is Marvel. Marvel will do this where they decide they want to introduce new characters to kind of lead into the next project because that's pretty much how we got black panther we met him in civil war well y'all met him i didn't see civil war um captain america civil war that is and for this film they tried to interest introduce us to ironheart she was the most pointless part of the whole damn film uh very irritating and annoying like why is she here why is she here they tried to make her part of the MacGuffin. didn't work So this film was um, interesting. This was the first time that I actually told my followers on TikTok because everyone was like, are you going to see it? 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 And I'm like, y'all, we've already had this conversation. Like, I like Marvel movies, but I'm not like a big Marvel fan. I don't line up to go see Marvel movies. That's just not what I do. So I said, if y'all wanted me to see this movie, y'all need to Venmo me money. If you Venmo me the money to see the movie and get popcorn... I'll go watch it. Not only will I watch it, but I'll also watch Black Panther for the first time because I'd never seen it. So I watched Black Panther, I think, that Saturday for the first time. And I was very confused. I'm like, how is it that this is supposed to be the greatest Marvel film of all time? I haven't even seen half of the Marvel films, but the ones that I've seen were significantly better. I wouldn't even count this in the top 10 of the ones that I've seen. I thought it was just very boring and just very under just underwhelming. I did see Infinity War. Didn't see Endgame because they're like, it's three hours long. I'm like, yeah, absolutely not. I'm not that interested. So I did see Infinity War. So the Infinity War was my introduction to T'Challa. And I felt like we got more out of T'Challa in Infinity War than we did in Black Panther. There was just more pulled out of that character. Ugh. Like, he just was very underwhelming, understated, very boring, dry. The movie was just boring. I couldn't remember anybody's name. Andy Serkis was the most interesting part of that movie and he died and I was really mad about it. Michael B. Jordan was such a joke to me in Black Panther. He's such a good actor. He's very talented, but he, it was just, it was almost like he, like a kid in the school play. He was playing dress up. And then, you know, watched Wakanda forever the next day in theaters. And I just felt the same way. I thought it was just, I was bored. Like, it just didn't do anything for me. So, yeah, that's why it it ended up there. So, with everything, with Wakanda being what it is. So, I expect there to be Oscar nominations for Wakanda Forever. I'm not going to argue that. Um, I expect there may be an Oscar nomination for Angela Bassett. I didn't think her performance was all that great. I think she had, like, one good scene and that was about it. Um, I didn't think her performance was, like, ooh, wow, or anything like that. 
costume design, film editing, production design. I mean, production design and costume design. Excellent. Always excellent. Beautiful. I expect the most out of Marvel. So beautifully done. But I just, the pacing, it was too long. It was too long and drawn out. It should have ended like 30 minutes before it did. The plot to me, it was just, there was just no story and the, the weak character development. So that's where it fell for me. We got two more films in our bottom 10. Second to last one is Till. T-I-L-L, the film by Chinoye Chuku, Nigerian-American director. This is based on the story of Emmett Till from his mother's perspective. Yeah. I was very shocked when I was, you know, sorting through to see what my bottom 10 and what my top 15 were, that this ended up on bottom 10. I didn't expect it to be top 15 for sure. I I figured it'd be somewhere in the middle. But no, apparently this is one of the worst films I've seen this year. I mean, I didn't particularly care for it. I was expecting something better. I I was expecting greatness with how heavy and large the story of Emmett Till is. And I just was underwhelmed. I think my words were... When I did a review on TikTok, I said something like, you know, I was expecting excellence, but I don't think that's what I got. Mm. So where did this fail for me? I thought I gave the acting like an eight because Danielle Deadweiler, I think she'll probably get an Oscar nod for best lead actress for this film. I, I don't know. I don't expect her to win. I don't know. Cause she didn't get a nomination for the golden globe SAG award nominations come out next week. So we shall see, but that's the reason why this movie was given such high ratings was her performance because that's it. That's literally the best part of the movie is her performance. I mean, the entire thing is about Mamie Till. So I expect her to give a good performance, but I just felt like she played one emotion and she acted within that range. I didn't think her performance was all that great, but I wouldn't say it was bad. It was, I thought it was a good performance, just not a competitive performance. I would not compare her to like Kate Blanchett this year or Michelle Williams. I don't think it was that kind of a caliber performance. That makes sense. But that was the only good acting performance in the entire movie though. The the acting in the rest of the film sucked, which is crazy to me, which is where the director failed. I don't understand how you can have Whoopi Goldberg. Now, whether you like Whoopi Goldberg or not, irrelevant. She's an incredible actress. She's a great actress. Okay, I don't. She's not my favorite in terms of who she is as a person, but she's a damn good actress. She's incredibly talented. Okay, incredibly talented woman. The director failed. And not pulling a great performance from her. A director is a communicator. I'm just trying to, what were you communicating? Um, Faison. Which Faison was in this? Uh, Frankie Faison was in this. Is it Frankie? It's a Faison. Frankie Faison, who um, I was first introduced to him. Silence of the Lambs. He's a great actor. He's He's good. He's incredible. He does great work. And you had some great actors in this film. And she just did not. And her and her entire focus was in Danielle. It's like everyone else acting in this movie was designed to support her and to draw attention to her. So everyone else was very just hokey, cheesy, happy-go-lucky. Like it was just terrible acting from everyone else but Danielle. 
that was it. Like that was, I think what kind of did it for me, but also because this is the story of Emmett Till. Now I had the unfortunate luck of watching a featurette of this film before it came out. In my defense, it was one of the trailers, I think for um, one of the movies I saw, I saw a lot of trailers and in the featurette, the director mentioned that there was no violence against black people in the film. I'm like, okay, that's, that's interestingly weird. And she said, the movie begins with joy and ends with joy. I'm like, okay. So we, the, the ending was kind of stupid. I thought, because we end with her standing in Emmett Till's room and she sees kind of this little vision of her son smiling. And it's just a way to kind of end it on a happy note. It was just very cheesy and disingenuous. I thought it was almost like she wanted to kind of cover up the bad with something sweet. You know, it's like putting too much sugar in a bad cake. Does that make sense? And then the lack of violence against black people. Look at, I understand because everyone's all, you know, stop using black trauma for entertainment, yada, yada, yada. Like I hear that. I think it's a stupid kind of sentiment. We can get into that another time, but I don't understand how you can make a movie about one of the most violent acts in American history and not show the violence. You don't see what happens to him until you hear it. And you don't even hear it for very long. It's just a couple seconds. It's fleeting and you're kind of passing by. Um, they do show his face. I should say, obviously it's a mannequin of some sort or a wax figure with prosthetics on. Um, but it's at a distance. We don't get the close up. The world got a close up of Emmett Till's face. The, his mother wanted the world to see the violence that was done to her son. That is why we, let's be real here. That is why we know Emmett Till. There were a lot of young black men that were lynched and murdered and assaulted during this time period. And there's so many names we do not know, but we know about Emmett Till because his mother demanded that the world see the violence that was done to her son by showing his dead face everywhere. That is why we know who Emmett Till is, not because of what happened to him, because his mother demanded we see the violence that was done to her son. And for the director to shy away from that, to me, was just cowardly. Absolute cowardly. But yeah, that's just my opinion. Now, to round out our bottom 10, 10 last film was a movie that I actually really enjoyed and I was really looking forward to. Um, I'd see it again. I, I'm pretty sure it's, someone, it's on some streaming network that I'm paying for, no doubt. Redeeming Love. Redeeming Love is the Christian romantic drama directed by DJ Caruso. That struck me as interesting, DJ Caruso, because he directed, I think, Disturbia and Eagle Eye. Um, stars... Abigail Cohen, Tom Lewis, Logan Marshall Green, Nick Dobrev, Eric Dame. My biggest issues with this film, I think the acting overall was pretty good. I gave it kind of a six for acting, I think, because we had some supporting characters that just were obviously integral to the story. This is the problem with reading books before you see the movies, because it's kind of hard to judge the movie on its own, that were obviously integral to the story, but they were just week. It was almost like I'm making an appearance and then I'm going away. So I thought the acting was pretty decent on its own. Just from our two main leads. I thought our main lead actress, Abigail Cohen, uh, was fantastic. Tom Lewis as Michael Hosea, I thought was fantastic. 
Logan Marshall Green, I expected more. Eric Dane, though, was that dude. I mean, he was a terrible dude, but he did such a good job. I think Nina Dobrev, um, she's not the greatest of actresses. She's from Vampire Diaries and typical with these teen drama. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Needs is that the best part of these teen television dramas is not the lead actress, but it's somebody else. Um, so she's not the best actress on the planet. I thought she was stunning. She was beautiful. I thought she did well, but she was just okay. And I thought it was an interesting choice for her, given her own personal beliefs and politics. But good on her for, you know, spreading her wings and whatnot. It was just kind of light and fluffy. Um, what was, what's the word? Kind of flat a bit, but it was cute. I thought it was a very sweet film. Probably, if I'm being honest with you, it, it's probably the best Christian film I've seen ever. If I'm being honest. I mean, I haven't seen Passion of the Christ, but it it was probably the best Christian film I've seen in a long time. What I did love about the movie, though, it was raw and it was honest and it didn't shy away because this is a movie about a prostitute named Angel um, who ends up marrying this farmer, this Christian farmer. And they don't shy away from her being a prostitute. It, at times, it's slightly graphic. Um, in nature, but not too graphic. I wouldn't bring a preteen to see this movie. That's for damn sure. But it was just very raw and very honest. And me being a Christian, having watched a lot of Christian films, it was just very refreshing just to see honesty. Because in a lot of Christian films where they are talking about heavy topics, they tend to shy away or step back. They don't want to get too real. This was, I thought, was very real and kept to the realness of the story because it's it's based on a novel that I think a lot of Christian girls have read, and it's a heavy one. And I appreciate the director for keeping that heaviness. And I think he really kept to the spirit of why this book, this story resonates with so many Christian women. So I did enjoy it. I thought it was very sweet. 
I just thought it was kind of flat. That's it. That's pretty much it. And that's our bottom 10. So just to reiterate, bottom 10 from the worst to not as worst. They slash them, Morbius, Firestarter, Bros, Halloween Ends, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Nope, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Till, Redeeming Love. If you disagree, let me know. I want to hear your thoughts. If you're, if I said something that upset you, say it. I want to hear it. Let's have a whole conversation. What were some of the worst films you've seen this year? Um, if you, do you go out of your way to not see films that you think are going to be bad? I would, I would challenge you to, to step outside of your comfort zone and, and see something you're like, I'm not so sure that looks really bad. Watch it anyway. You never know. You might learn something. But let me know what you think in a comment section, whether on Instagram or YouTube. Let me know what you think. I want to hear it. Now, who's ready for our top 15? I'm ready for our top 15. You still with me? I didn't think that list was that harsh. I mean, you might. But I don't. But it's okay because we're getting out of the negative. We're going into the positive. Let's talk the top 15, according to Savvy. Once again, this is not the top 15 of the year. This is the top 15 of the 44 movies that I have seen. Once again, this is my opinion. I did not just assign a number to these films. I graded these films based on different categories. And each category got a score out of 10. And then I came up with an average. And based on that average, here is our top 15. Now, I was very shocked by the bottom 15 list. Um because some of them like, wow, I didn't think it was that bad. Like, honestly, I didn't expect bros to be in the bottom 10, but it was. Um, I didn't think Till would be in the bottom 10, but it was. I am not as shocked by the top 15. I'm a little shocked by like where some things fall, but the number 15 film of the year for me, I'm very shocked. I was not expecting to see this on the list at all, but it's Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, starring Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Diego Calva. This film is what I call messy eggs. Now, I use messy eggs to describe uh, Fantastic Beast in a review I did on TikTok for that movie. Messy eggs is a dish I like to make for breakfast. It's my attempt at trying to make an omelet, but I suck at making an omelet. So it ends up being a plate of messy eggs. So it fails as an omelet, but it's edible and it's delicious and it's very tasty. And that's how I would describe Babylon in that it was messy eggs. It was just absolutely, it was a hot mess of a film. It just at times seemed kind of directional, directionless and didn't really know what direction it wanted to go in, I guess, as a what I'm trying to say, but it was edible. And I think that's how it ended up in the top 15. Cause although it was a mess, yes, very much. So um, the acting was great. It was entertaining. It was fun. Costuming. I mean, just technical stuff, cinematography, production design, film editing, costume design, beautifully done, beautifully done. The pacing is where it lacked for me. It was just too long. It, it, it was longer than it should have been. It was like three hours long, but I felt like he was just, there was a lot of his passion he was putting into it. He just didn't want it to end. That's kind of the vibe that I was getting from it. it. There was so much more he wanted to say. And this is true for filmmakers, especially your more seasoned film directors. They love film history. They love film history and they love looking back on where the industry is, has been and where it's gone. And he gives a sweet little homage to that 
at the end of the film, which I thought was really sweet. So yeah, it was a hot mess of a film. It was just, the pacing was kind of all over the place. At times it felt like he didn't know what direction he wanted to go in. Um, it, was, it was kind of bumpy, not epi- not episodic, but it was just really, really bumpy. But it was an entertaining plate of messy eggs. It was so much fun. It was beautifully shot. It was just beautiful. The camera work. There is a scene where Margot Robbie at the very beginning where she's dancing and it's it's one take. But I, I want just the way the camera moves with her. I just thought it was so beautifully done. So I get. Yeah, I, I can see now why it's top 15. Yeah. Messy eggs it was a hot mess. It was a mess. I don't expect best picture nominations for this film at all. Um, but I do see maybe some costuming, direction design, the score. Absolutely 100%. I would vote for it to win for best score. Beautifully done. Acting, probably. I, I'd see maybe a best supporting nod for Brad Pitt. I think he's great in this. I love Brad Pitt, though. Uh, Margot Robbie. Def- I love her. And I've never really seen Diego Calva before this, but I thought he did a great job in this. But I think Margot Robbie is definitely the standout in this film. That That's just my opinion. I think she is the standout actor in this film. But I mean, yeah, messy eggs. Number 14, Watcher. You may have missed this one, but it is streaming on Shudder last time I checked. This is directed by Chloe Okuno, starring Micah Monroe, Carl Glussman, Bern Gorman. This was a thriller about a woman who moves to to Romania with her husband. Um, She moves there because of his job. He is half Romanian, so he speaks the language. She doesn't. This was so good. Oh, my gosh. This was a classic thriller, and it gets straight to the point. Um, This is about a woman. She's new to the city, new to the country, and she thinks her neighbor across the street is watching her. And so while she's trying to figure out whether this man is watching her, stalking her, whatever, there's also this serial killer story that's in the backdrop. And I love the way it it sits in the background, kind of in the back of her mind until it, it makes its way to the front. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. That was just a beautiful film all around with a Dracula nod because Romania. And I really appreciated that. Number 13, the black phone. If I had to pick a top five for the year, I would black phone would probably be um, top five, regardless of the score. This was one of my favorite theater experiences. This was just a lot. Oh, it was such, I love a good ghost story. I love a good ghost story. So this is based on a short story by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. He is his daddy's son. This had a very Stephen King-esque feel to it. Beautifully acted. Ethan Hawke is just that dude. He's so good. I've forgotten how good of an actor he is. It was just, it was beautifully shot, beautifully written. It moved so well. It was creepy. It was scary. I loved it. I had so much fun with this one. It was just good. I don't know what else to say. It was so good. So that was number 13, The Black Phone, coming in at, coming in at number 12, Smile. This came out the same weekend as Bros. So I mentioned that Bros decided to come out on the weekend. A horror movie came out in late September, right before spooky season. This was the movie it competed with, Smile. This one word to describe this film, I would say intelligent. This was just very intelligent in just the way... The director used the camera to tell pieces of the story to give us insight into the character's trauma. Something I really enjoyed with this is we get these invasive close-ups 
And then we're pushed back at a distance. That's very much the main character in that she gives us moments of vulnerability where we get a peek inside and then she pushes people away. And I I love that juxtaposition, how it's not just the characters who are getting, but he's using everything at his disposal to help us understand her mindset. And I love that. I enjoyed that very much. So yeah, Smile, directed by Charlie Saroff, starring Sosie Bacon, Kyle Gallner, Cal Penn. Great film. It is on Paramount Plus, I believe, right now. So if you have Paramount Plus, highly recommend if you haven't watched it yet. Coming in at number 11, Breaking. This movie pissed me off. Which is harsh to say. Why did this movie piss me off? Um, It pissed me off because the marketing was just terrible. The marketing was just terrible. This film was so good. It was so well done. I'm just looking it up real quick just to make sure I have the director correct because I don't think that's right. No, I was right. So the film is directed by Abby Damaris Corbin. It stars John Boyega and Michael Kenneth Williams. I believe this was Michael Kenneth Williams' last film before he passed. He died um, in 2021. So yeah, this would have been his last film before he passed. Sad. Um, Incredible actor. But this... Oh, no, I'm wrong. He actually has another film coming out this year called Surrounded. So second to last film that he released before he passed. This is about a man. It's based on a true story of a man who's a veteran who decides he wants to rob an Atlanta bank because of a error on part of the VA with respect to his money. John Boyega. My God. Oh, what an incredible performance. My issue with this film is I felt like there was just no thematic center. I remember saying that thinking like, what are, what are we supposed to get out of this? What's, what's the message here? If that make what are what are what is what is it what is meant for us to get out of this? That's I think what I was looking for in the film, and I didn't quite get it, or I didn't catch it. I'm not sure which one. That was my only issue. Other than that, beautifully acted, beautifully shot. Um, but this was a sleeper. Like I don't understand how you can have such a quality product and not put your all into making sure the world sees it. I'm not sure where this is streaming, but find it breaking starring John Boyega. Great. Oh my God. So freaking good. So good. It it deserves more love than it got that it was incredible. But John Boyega is pretty much what did it for me. His performance was just so raw and so real and so humble and just human. It was such a natural performance. Oh, I loved it very much. (sighs) Coming in at number, let me see, 15, 14, 13, 12. That was 11. Breaking, coming in number 10, Top Gun Maverick. So I actually watched this on Prime. It's on Paramount Plus, but my parents rented it on Prime. I wish they'd said something because I could have just given them my login. But, you know, now they have it. It's on their TV. But yeah, they rented it on Prime and then me, my mom and my brother and my stepdad decided, hey, they wanted to watch it again. So we watched it together. It was so good. I think what I really loved about this movie, I mean, military films in general, I think one of their um, the standouts is just the camera work. 
the camera work for this, especially because, you know, these are fighter pilots and just the camera work inside the, the, the plane. I thought was just cool. But Tom Cruise is such a good actor. Yeah, he's a little crazy. He's a little nuts. We understand that. We we get that. But he's such a good actor to see him come back to this role. I've only seen Top Gun once and it was years ago. Um, so I didn't rewatch Top Gun. I just wanted to kind of come into it with fresh eyes and see what I remembered. But Miles Teller, I think um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Shia LaBeouf and how Shia LaBeouf was coming up. Shia LaBeouf, unfortunately, his demons got the best of him and he's he's slowly coming back slowly but surely but miles teller is kind of that young blood that's the potential is just there and people are starting to recognize it he's an incredible young actor and i really loved him in this film he's just good i think he's he only has room to grow there's he that's it I mean, he's he's doing so well right now. He's got a great agent who's picking great projects for him. He only has room to grow. That's the best I can say about him. But I thought this film was just well done. Great story. Beautiful music. Um, I don't quite like the Lady Gaga sound, song at the end. Like, I thought that was just weird and kind of out of place. But that's just my opinion. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Would I say it's my favorite? Nah. I mean, this is not a movie that I would watch a second time. It's just not my cup of tea. It's not my forte. But I mean, I'm going to give props or props are due. So yeah, acting is where I really enjoy this one. Uh, I thought the writing was very solid. Cinematography, so the camera work. I'm obsessed with camera work. Production design, I thought was beautifully done. The pacing, it moved very well for what it was. Uh, the plot, character development, uh, just the evolving relationship between Miles and Tom's characters. Yeah. That was pretty solid. So that was number 10. Coming in at number nine, Devotion, another military film based on a true story, stars Jonathan Majors, Glenn Powell, who was in Top Gun Maverick. Pray, you know, he played kind of the douchey character. And Joe Jonas. Um, I don't know why I even mentioned him, but I just thought that was kind of cool seeing him in a movie like, oh, look, it's Joe. That movie was just very well done. Again, camera work I thought was beautiful. What I loved about this movie, it was a different kind of character development in that we weren't pushed to get to know the characters, but more so to bond with their relationship with one another. That was what was important, was the bond they had to one another. I thought that was just an interesting take. It was different. It was something I hadn't seen before. So that was directed by Adam Makos. So yeah, direction and acting is where I really enjoyed it. And production design. I thought it was just a beautiful film. It was just well put together. Um, And also one that kind of just kind of slipped on past. They promoted it heavily in theaters. I think I saw this trailer at least a thousand times, it felt like. But they didn't really push it as much as they should have. And it's a great film. I don't understand why. So same with Breaking. I understand how you can put out a quality product and not push it and not promote it and not believe in it. But such is life, I guess. Coming in at number eight, Elvis. Oh, Baz Lerman, Boz Lerman, one day I'm going to get this man's right, but not today, apparently. Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. So Austin Butler is nominated for Best Lead Actor for this film. I don't understand why Tom Hanks isn't nominated for this film as well. I thought Tom Hanks was just stellar in this movie. Um, 
But I think if you're going to push for a win, Austin Butler is the way to go. He's fresh, he's new, and he's Elvis. We all know Elvis. I don't even remember Tom Hanks' character's name in the film, if I'm being honest with you. But this film was so different. It was kind of nonlinear at times. It bounced. Um, This was such an interesting take. I think if you want to compare this to I Want to Dance with Somebody, in that even though this is the story of Elvis, it gave us something to focus on. This isn't so much about Elvis, but it's about his manager and his manager's relationship to him. So we're seeing Elvis through the eyes of his manager, and that's the lens for the story. We're getting a picture of a man who lived a life that wasn't his own, who never really got to live the life that he really wanted to live. I don't know. It was just beautiful. It was a lot of highs, a lot of lows. My big issue was that there are parts in the third act that kind of dragged. It just slowed down a little too much, but then it picked right back up. But it was just beautiful. I remember, you know, the first couple seconds of the film, you know, right before we really get into it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And it was, and it was, uh, music was great. I mean, that era, whatever. It's amazing. So good. Um, just getting a a picture of this man who became him. And I think that's where this film excelled, where I want to be, I want to dance with somebody failed is that we got a picture of the Elvis. We didn't know now, whether it's true or not, or whether it was embellished, that's not the point. The point is we got a picture of a man. We didn't know. We didn't get that with Whitney and I want to dance with somebody, but oh, it was such a good movie. So much fun. This is on HBO Max right now, but I did see this in theaters. (sighs) Coming in at number seven, I saw this one on December 31st. So this was the last film I saw this year, and I was so happy I caught it. I didn't think I was going to be able to see it. So my journey to see this film was I was actually going to see it when I was... um, back home. So I'm originally from the Charlotte area and it was playing at Concord Mills, which is a mall in Cabarrus County, right outside of Charlotte. And I was going to go see it there on Thursday of last week, but it's a drive from my mom's house, which is crazy considering I drive 11 hours to go to my mom's house. But once I'm in the area, it, it just seemed too far. However, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it's playing in New Orleans because it wasn't before, which is why I was going to see it in Concord while I was out of town. I check again, and sure enough, it's playing at Elmwood in Harahan, right outside New Orleans. And I'm like, yep, we're going to go Saturday in the afternoon. This film murdered me. This film was... Oh, God, I don't know if I still don't have it's been days and I still don't have the words to properly process what I felt, what I saw. It was just such a beautiful portrait of this is going to sound weird, but it was a beautiful portrait of depression and regret and guilt and shame. And it was just such a human experience. Brendan Fraser gives the performance of a lifetime. I expect him to win. I demand he win. That was the performance of the year for actors anyway. 
but it was just well done. I mean, just beautifully acted. I mean, a very small cast. It's based on a play. So I'm, I'm glad they stuck to that. They kept a small cast, just enough to fill a stage. If that makes sense. Sadie Sink is in this, and I've never seen it before. Everyone and their mama, when I posted my review on TikTok, I was like, you don't know Sadie Sink? She's in street. Obviously, I don't know who Sadie Sink is. I just said, I've never seen her before this. It's like, you don't know who Sadie She's in street. I don't, obviously, I have no idea who that is. So there's no point in telling me, oh my God, but she's in Stranger Things. Now, thank you. Now I know. But she is a talent to, to watch out for. Not in the same way I say watch out for Miles Teller. I think Miles Teller, it's already there. It's just we need more people to pay attention. I think Sadie Sink is just starting to come into the potential that she hasn't even tapped into yet. Um, it's like you ever worked with somebody and you can see their potential, but they can't see it. I think that's where Sadie Sink is. I don't think she realized what's there. But there's something there. She she's she's coming up. She's coming up. She's one to watch out for and one to look out for. Jenna Ortega, I think, is a good one to compare her to. If you're familiar with kind of Jenna Ortega's breakthrough, this was this has been a breakthrough year for Jenna Ortega. She's had three different films. No, wait, two film projects come out this year that I that I can remember, and a television show. No, I'm wrong. Three films. Wait, she had the fallout. Why am I going on a tangent? We're going on a tangent. She had the fallout, Scream, and uh, not Pearl, the one before that, X, come out this year. And Wednesday that came out at the end of the year series on Netflix. So I would compare her to, I feel like they're kind of around the same. These two breakout stars that people are starting to be like, huh, Okay, I, I see something. There's something there. But yeah, yeah, it was just beautifully done. It was just a beautiful film. Like, I, I think I walked away thinking, that's cinema. That's how you tell a story. But Brendan Fraser deserves absolutely everything for that movie. And I'm excited to see how he performs come award season. So that was number seven. Number six, if I had to pick a favorite of the year, it would be number six, Barbarian, a horror movie directed by Zach Kreger, starring Bill Skarsgård, Georgina Campbell, Justin Long. Easily one of the best horror movies I've seen in years. Um, if you have not seen it, last I checked, it is on HBO Max. I highly recommend it, even if you don't like horror movies. It's structurally different. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. From beginning to end, I was terrified. It was just shot really well, written really well. I mean, Bill Scar- that the genius of the um, the film is the casting of Bill Skarsgård. Because Bill Skarsgård's resume, he is someone we know to be terrifying. He did a series on Netflix. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a Netflix original series where it's kind of spooky. He was Pennywise in the two most recent It films. Um, And he was in a television series on Hulu, Castle Rock. Uh, I know he's in season one. He has a bit of a part in season two. Spooky. So he's someone we know and expect to be scary. Also, he's Skarsgård. So his older brother, Alexander Skarsgård. So we we expect him to be spooky. And I think when you you see him in a film, you know it's a horror movie. You're looking at him like he's suspect. And that's where the confusion begins. And I think I think Zach Craiger must have known that when people see him, they're going to think he's the bad guy. They're going to get thrown off. Um it was just such a beautifully executed film. And it was a, a fun ride of a film. It was terrifying. I had nightmares. 
favorite of the year. And I love horror. Horror is my genre of of choice. That was favorite, top tier, loved it. Oh my goodness. So quick, uh, 15 through six, before we get into our top five, Babylon, Watcher, The Black Phone, Smile, Breaking, Top Gun, Maverick, Devotion, Elvis, The Whale, Barbarian. That was 15 through six. Top five. I'm amazed this made it into the top fives. I think I actually said this was top five. I can't remember. But The Menu. The Menu. So I had no intention on seeing this film. And I think it's because I saw the trailer so many times. Again, I went to the movies every week except for one week from August 25th up until last week. And I'm going to the movies in two days. So I have seen the trailer for The Menu. I don't know how many times. I'm pretty sure I saw it every time I was in the movie theater. So I was kind of over it before it even started. But I decided to give it a chance. Um, At this point, I feel like I've seen Anya Taylor-Joy everywhere. This was excellent. It was executed to damn near perfection. It's short, relatively short. It's an hour and 45 minutes long, but it gets to the point super quick. It doesn't drag. It doesn't lead you on this weird little chase. No, it it slams in your face damn near 15 minutes in and it keeps you going. You're on the edge of the seat. It's funny. It's terrifying. It's weird. It's crazy. Ray finds Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, um, Hong Chow, who was also in The Whale. So she is having a very good year, BTW. Uh, who else? John, there's a lot of people in this. John Leguizamo, Judith Light. It's just loaded cast, uh, but just beautifully executed. I mean, Ray Fines, I thought, gave an incredible performance. I, I, expect, him, I expect nominations for him for this movie. A lot of nominations I'm expecting for this movie for him. Um, it was beautifully shot. I know I say that a lot, but it was, um, food photography, uh, filming food is different and it, it requires, it's a different kind of skill that has to be taught. It's just beautiful. So, cause this is about a movie about, um, a group of people who go to this exclusive restaurant on an island and they're expecting to have this exclusive experience and they get there and it's things just kind of are just a little wacky and things are not quite right. And it it gets weird and they find out, Oh, we're about to die at the end of the night. And it just goes downhill, but it's an uphill. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's so funny. Ray Fiennes is just a gem of an actor. Oh, Oh, loved it. Loved that one. I could go on and on. That was just an unexpected joy for me because I was not expecting. I I figured it'd be good. I did not expect it to be as amazing as it was. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that is also on HBO Max right now. Coming in at number four, The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg. It also, if I had to pick like favorites of the year, this would be on the list. I love Spielberg. Man basically raised me. Let's be honest here. I've been watching his films since I was a little girl and I enjoy his variety. I I love how versatile he is. And this was a passion project for him because this really is about a young man discovering his passion for filmmaking. And I, I love the picture that we get of the pieces of filmmaking that are kind of dead right now, like film editing, the actual editing of like, print film everything's digital now so getting to see that old school process of actually cutting the film developing it i thought was cool 
I enjoyed that part. Just seeing the the passing of time through the different cameras that he uses, and just a reminder of how so much changed in the industry in a short period of time. At least that's what I got out of it. But I thought the acting was Seth Rogen. I feel like he should do more dramatic work. Just my personal opinion. He's a great dramatic actor. I thought he did very well in this. Uh, Paul Dano, Gabriel LaBelle, who is the star of the film. It's a coming of age film about him and where he's a sinner, basically. It's just well shot, well done. Beautiful John Williams score. But Michelle freaking Williams, my God. Um, what a performance. I mean, she's always been a good actress. Uh, she's been nominated several times. I know, I think one of the first times she was nominated was for Brokeback Mountain, um, 2005 film. So she was nominated in the 2006 Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor. No, Best Lead Actress. She um, gives such an incredible, beautiful, well-rounded performance in this film. Highly competitive. I think she's going to give number three a run for her money. Number three is Tar with Kate Blanchett. I caught this one at the last minute. It was almost out of the out of the theater. Um, caught it real quick. I actually wasn't even planning on seeing it until I was actually I actually saw two movies that same day. I saw She Said that evening, and then I decided last minute to see Tar and catch it before it left theater because I figured no, I'll just catch it when it comes on stream. I was like, nope, I'm gonna regret it. I'm gonna be really mad if I miss this. So I went to see it, and holy crap! Holy crap. What a performance. What a performance. Kate Blanchett, as far as I'm concerned, is the one to be. Michelle Williams, I think, gives her a good run for her money. But Kate Blanchett gives an incredible performance. She is the movie. The entire movie is hinges on her performance and also the performances of the supporting cast. What kind of director do you have to be to... Pull those kind of performances out of your cast because in order for the movie to really make sense and move the way it does, everyone has to be good. Everybody has to be on. I mean, Kate Blanchett gives the performance of a lifetime, but so much of who she is as a character we're getting from the supporting cast. And that's intentional because Kate Blanchett is playing this two-faced woman who is a conductor at the Berlin Orchestra. She's about to give the performance of her life, a symphony that she's always wanted to conduct. And she's given us this facade, but we know something's quite not quite right about her, kind of off. She's slightly two-faced. And the only clues that we, because she gives us none of that. Intentionally so, Kate Blanchett's character gives us none of that. So we get these clues from the supporting cast. And it's it, the way this film was shot, Oh, I've never seen anything like it where we we don't get these whole pictures anymore of two people sitting at a table back and forth. We get these alternating close-ups. Usually that's the norm, but we get these very wide shots where we're forced to pay attention to two things at once. So he might be talking, but she's looking off in the other direction. So we're forced to pay attention to him talking, but also her looking. And that's pretty much how the film goes with respect to how it was shot. And the framing is that we're always forced to pay attention to two things at once, which is what the filmmaker is asking to do with Lydia Tarr, Kate Blanchett's character, because she's two-faced. She's two people at once. He wants to see the facade, the mask, and all also who she is beneath the surface. It was just, it was such a good movie. Oh, I could go on and on and on about it. But we don't have that kind of time. We've, we're already running long. So let's get into our top 
two. The top two surprised me. I okay. I'm surprised me. The number one surprised me. The top two, not so much. I don't think I was surprised because I thoroughly, again, this was all based on my opinion, my own assessments based on different things. The Northman comes in at number two. The Northman uh, came out in the spring, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke, Anya Taylor-Joy, a whole bunch of Scandinavian actors whom I cannot pronounce, and one who was very well known, but I can't pronounce his name for nothing or her name. I don't remember if it's he or her or whatever or who anyone is. I went to see the movie because of Alexander Skarsgård. Okay, I don't care. I'm shameless. Alexander Skarsgård is what drew me to the movie and the fact that he was playing a Viking. Okay, like, what's the? is there a problem? No. Who wouldn't? Hello, er- Eric Northman. Hello. He's been a Viking pretty much my entire adult life. So this film was, for me, was just well done on so many fronts. It was just such a good all-around movie. Uh, Cinematography was beautiful. I thought Alexander Skarsgård, I don't think I've ever seen him act like that before. Nicole Kidman is just so beautiful. She's seasoned. She's seasoned. She's just, she knows what she's doing. Um, I, I love actors who enjoy acting. And I get that a lot from Nicole Kidman. Anya Taylor-Joy is quickly becoming a favorite of mine. The first time I ever saw her was Split several years ago. But just seeing the play that she's getting in Hollywood right now with different films, I mean, she's had three films that I can think of come out this year. She was in The Northman, Amsterdam, and The Menu. So she's a busy, busy lady. This was just a good movie. I mean, all around, I love the direction. I thought the direction was very good. The cinematography, the camera work. There is a one battle scene where it's just one long continuous shot. It's all one take. The blocking, the the choreography that has to go into that. I, I love stuff like that where all this thought, in order for this to be perfect, everything has to be right and everything has to be timed perfectly. It was the production design. I mean, it was just... Beautifully, and then the fact that this has is his ninth century. So there's no electric light, there are no flashlights, there's no electricity. So any kind of light that we have when it's night out, it's candlelight. And just the trick of saying, okay, we have to show this in candlelight, but we have to make sure that the people watching this can see it. Uh, stuff, just the, the, the thought that goes into stuff like that is what makes a good movie for me. I am a nerd and I really don't care. Um, it's a very simple movie. I mean, with there's a lot going on visually. It's it's a very visually heavy film. This was shot in Ireland, so it's just beautiful right out right out the gate. But simple stories about this man whose father is murdered and he wants revenge and this is about his search for revenge, his his quest for revenge. Simple. Super simple, which is great because visually it's very, very heavy. It's just very rich. I love the writing. I love the dialogue. I I love the way they spoke. To me, it was poetry. You might not think so, but I did. So yeah, Northman was number two. And then number one, I was very shocked by number one. Again, I just scored these things accordingly. I didn't give any thought to what the final score would be. Let me say that again. I just scored these things accordingly based on the court categories I had set up. So I had no idea what was going to be number one. I was a little shocked, but I don't disagree, though. I don't disagree. I was just shocked. 
based on my own personal taste, that this was number one. The Banshees of Inishirin. Whew, that was so freaking good. So this is starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon, Barry Keog. Oh, Keegan. That's Keegan. Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon, Barry Keegan. I expect nominations for all four. Uh, Carrie Condon, I thought, was is our lead actress, plays Colin Farrell's sister in the film. Uh, she's great, but Colin Farrell gives the performance of his life. I think it's going to be a big battle between Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser when it comes to awards. Those two, I think, are going to duke it out. But it really, de- it's we're going to know a good bit come Tuesday when the Globes come out, and it, it's, it's between those two. I said in a TikTok video that Colin Farrell gave the performance of his life, but Brendan Fraser gave the performance of a lifetime. I think it really it comes down to preference preference with respect to voting for awards. But the film was just all around just beautiful. Score was the music was beautiful, the score was great. It's in Ireland. So everything's pretty anyway. The accents, which has nothing to do with anything, but it makes me happy. The acting is great. It was just a good movie. It was just a solid film. It was solid. But the acting is the standout here. Colin Farrell, I don't think I've ever seen him like that before. Not that he, I didn't think, I mean, he's always been a great actor. He's been acting for a very long time. I mean, he's damn near old school at this point. He's been around for a minute, but I've never seen him like this. Um where he really just stepped into his craft and he just did the damn thing. Like what a performance. I really enjoyed him in this. It's a beautiful story about just time and how sometimes we feel like it's wasted and the relationships that we build and love and, and, and loss. And it's just such a simple Simple, simple, easy film, but it's beautifully done. It has a very kind of easy pace to it. But yeah, I I foresee a big battle between Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser, for sure. And that's it. That's the top 15, starting from the bottom again. Babylon, Watcher, The Black Phone, Smile, Breaking, Top Gun, Maverick, Devotion, Elvis, The Whale, Barbarian, The Menu, The Fablemans, Tar, The Northman, and coming in at number one for me, apparently, I was shocked, The Banshees of Inishirin. That was fun. I can't wait to do it again next year. That was fun for me. I don't know how you feel about it, but I had a lot of fun. And if you stuck through to the end, you're a gem and I love you so much. So what do you have to look forward to with this podcast? You will get an episode every Friday at noon, nine out of 10. It will be a film review. I go to the movies pretty much every week and I go on Thursdays. So I'll watch a movie. You get a review on Friday. That's the deal. You'll also get some bonus episodes, some uh, industry commentary. I'm very opinionated and also some award show recaps. Now, when I say award shows, I mean three, the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards and the Oscars. It's the only one I watch. I don't watch any other award shows. So don't ask, ask me about people's choice. Don't ask me about the VMAs or whatever. Don't ask me about the MTV Movie Awards. I only watch the big three and they come out January, February, March, pretty much. So you will get some recap on those. I will do a podcast episode on the Oscar nominations. 
Um, I, I just look forward to just talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is film, filmmaking, the film process, the film industry, film history. I, I should have done this years ago. I don't know why it took me so long to figure out that this is what I should have been doing. But we're here now and it's never too late. So thank you so much for sticking through and listening to the end. I love you and I'm grateful for you. I couldn't do this without you. I hope you have an amazing weekend and I will see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.